Have you ever sat down and thought that you were supposed to start a podcast? Have you ever wondered how you're going to do that and how that will work? Anchor.fm is the link where this podcast is recorded. It is so helpful, so easy to do. Now, come on, people. If I can do it, y'all can do it. I'm telling you what. So (laughs) go to anchor.fm, start your podcast, and follow what God is calling you to do. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. Hey guys, welcome to season eight of the Anchored by the Sword podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for another season of hearing the stories that show what God is doing in people's lives. I love being able to share this with you. I love having you guys on this journey and for you to get more acquainted with the guests that willingly come on and share their stories. We are actually going back to one time a week uh, throughout this season. You may hear once in a while, two times a week, but for the most part, we're going back to one time a week just because we're getting into the busy holiday season. We're getting into a couple busy seasons for me personally, but we're still bringing amazing content. We're still coming every Tuesday. So thanks for joining me. Enjoy this episode. So as you said, Amy Brady. I live in Orlando, Florida, and I am a wife of 30 years. I have five children ranging in ages from 27 to 10. (laughs) I have two fur babies, a four-year-old Fischla and a four-month-old Chippa-Doodle. So our lives are very, very full. Our Mm -hmm. hands are full, but our hearts are full also. Um, I've been in ministry of some kind for over 20 years. I grew up in ministry Um, my father was a minister, um, decided this was, that kind of life was not for me. And so chose a different path for quite a while. Um, and then God began to just kind of pull me back in slowly, but surely into ministry. And, Mm um, I have a husband who's always been super supportive of that. Uh, and I've been very, very fortunate to be able to do that without needing to put food on the table with it. Mm-hmm. And so um, that has definitely, you know, it's not as much of a burden and just something that I've done, like I said, for over 20 years in different capacities. Um, I've been a professional speaker, you know, retreats and seminars and conferences and conventions, things like that. Um, I've authored over seven Bible studies um, and an Advent devotional, which you're probably more familiar with. Um, and then after a really difficult season in my life, probably the most difficult season of my life, hoping to kick off my own podcast sometime this year, (laughs) we will see, we will see, because like I said, I've got a grandbaby coming my very first in August. And so I hope that my life is going to be very full with that. (laughs) It will definitely. That is (laughs) Yeah, you've got, you definitely do have your hands full, a four month old puppy right now, and then soon to be a baby. So yeah, that's, that's definitely full, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) it is, it is. And the Brady's (laughs) seem to work a little bit better when we have some type of, let's just say purpose. Some call it chaos. Uh We'll just call it purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Chaos is in the eyes of the beholder. Is that? That's right. That's right. I have this great sign in my kitchen that says, um, some call it family, some call it chaos. We call it family. So <laughs> I love that. That is so fun. I, I kind of function the same way because if I don't have like a full calendar or a whole bunch of stuff, like boys and baseball and all kinds of things, then I go, now what am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about your story, whatever part of your story you'd like to share. You know, I'm 50 years old, turned 50 this last year. And so I have a lot of stories. Um, I have a lot of parts and pieces of Amy, um, throughout those times, you know, things from childhood, things from adolescence, young adult, becoming a mom, 
um, going into ministry full time. There's just like a, you know, the whole, whole thing is just a story. Um, but I would say that the one that feels the most raw, um, the one that's still in the process of healing would probably be when we decided 14 years ago, we decided to adopt. Um, but 11 years ago, it actually happened. So I had always wanted to adopt when I was a kid. I grew up with cousins who were adopted and our family would foster unofficially, you know, different family members who were going through things. There was just always another child who kind of needed help or something. Mm -hmm. And when I found out that my cousins were actually adopted, um, I just remember thinking, wow, if my aunt and uncle had not adopted them, I wouldn't have them. And mm -hmm. one of the cousins, especially with my age, we were really close. And um, I just thought, wow, that would be a really great way to add to a family or to have a family one day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, fast forward many, 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 many years, we had two children, uh, boys, three years apart. And um, this desire would just kind of always kind of keep coming up in all kinds of different ways. Little things would happen and it would just, I would be reminded that that desire was still there. We began to talk about it a little bit more and nothing really happened from the conversations, but I had since then really gotten interested in doing anti-trafficking work. Mm -hmm. And so I went on a a mission trip, I guess you could say. It was really more an exploratory trip with a group of women. Um, many who have gone on to be therapists or different things, but we went to work with an anti-trafficking organization in Southeast Asia mm -hmm. and difficult spiritually and mentally thing to process. Mm -hmm. So most of us didn't sleep that night we got up the next day and they had very wisely planned kind of a nothing day for a little bit half of the day so we went to the western area of the city that we were in and we had bread which was really great and they had cheerios at this it was like a market right you know, uh -huh. we got food that we you know wanted to have and that we were used to because it's been like a week since we'd had anything from America or remotely like that. So it was just a breather, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then we followed it up with a visit to a, an organization that made these beautiful artisan crafts and the people that did the work were part of a population of uh, hard of hearing deaf. So we were there, it was really special. We leave and I see this little girl sitting on a stoop and I said to myself, oh my goodness, that's every time I think of what my daughter looks like, that's what she looks like to me in my heart. Mm -hmm. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you're going to come back for her. And not that little girl, but this imaginary child in my heart. Mm -hmm. And after everything I had experienced to that point and knowing that there were a lot of obstacles at home to making that happen, I was just like, let's just table this thought. Mm -hmm. It's just too much to process. Mm -hmm. But over a course of events, it happened. Our family decided to go into the adoption process and we waited for three years. Mm -hmm. um, most families end up waiting at that point. I don't even know what it is. The timelines are now, but seven years, 10 years for what's called um, a traditional adoption. Mm -hmm. After two years, we began to sense that the Lord was us into special needs adoption. Mm -hmm. So we went that route and within a year or so we were matched with a child mm -hmm. and it is our daughter now. And we knew that she had a particular medical condition and we put down that we would take a few other medical conditions, but all on paper she had was this particular condition that we had said, we're open to this one because we had good doctors here. You know, mm -hmm. we knew our insurance would cover all the things we knew we could get her here and actually help her. Right. Um, so she came home and I mean, that was a long period of waiting. So God did a lot in my life during that waiting. It was excruciating. Mm -hmm. It was very difficult. It was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of paperwork. Now I'm like, paperwork doesn't scare me anymore. Um, 
someone will give me a packet and like, I'm so sorry. It's a big packet. I'll turn it back in like 30 minutes. They're like, whoa. I'm like, Hey, I know paperwork, right? I can get this done in no time. <laughs> I've, done, I've done thousands of documents of dossiers. This is nothing to me. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, um, we do, and we had a sense that there was some other underlying issues, but when you bring a child home, um, whether it's domestic or international, there are so many things going on. First of all, there's massive grief, mm-hmm. massive grief. Adoption is lost. It is. Mm-hmm. When you look at it, in my opinion, properly, adoption is lost. And that is what needs to be the most, the focal point, not, you know, that, you know, we had a, a dream of adopting and it came true and the focus being on us, on us. And, you know, that God answered this prayer. The focus is that our child has suffered a great loss um, and not just the original loss, but then the loss of the only community that she did know and the culture and the language and the food and all the things that go into that. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to determine what's going on emotionally because there's so many comorbid symptoms and it's so layered. You've got your attachment issues. You've got your trauma issues. You've got your grieving. You've got all the things. You've got the language barrier. Mm-hmm. But she would have these extreme meltdowns that, you know, we were not new to parenting at that time. And I have a son who is particularly strong-willed. Um, and so we weren't averse and not used to very dramatic meltdowns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ones that kind of like, stir they steer the course of the day right um and so we just kind of kept muscling through and thinking it's all those other things and it was it was but when we began to hit certain benchmarks mm-hmm. like by this time she should start to settle in by this time this will probably none of those ever did anything for us we passed every benchmark that should have brought some relief for her and then some relief for our home mm-hmm. um my husband called me one day he was at home with her and he said have we ever gotten her ears checked and I said um no I don't think they did a baseline hearing I didn't see anything in the paperwork but I had hearing issues as a child and so I thought you know I've been wanting to do that let me take her in to an Mm -hmm. audiologist let's just get a baseline see where she's at in case there's ever any problems he said well I just think she has a lot of wax built up or something in her ears because I'm telling her I love her in her left ear and she's not responding. Mm. And I said, okay, all right. So I brought her in, they did all the tests and the audiologist came out and she said, did you know that your child was profoundly deaf in her left ear? Mm. And I said, no, I did not know that. Interesting thing was one of the other medical conditions that we said we would, thought we were prepared to handle and take was hearing loss. Mm-hmm. So we got it two years after we realized it. (laughs) So she had already had a lot of sensory issues, which comes with the territory with kids from hard places. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were pretty severe. And so she had already been placed at the very, very end of the spectrum with sensory processing disorder. Mm -hmm. She didn't meet the protocol for autism because autism is based on boys in the mm. 60s and 70s, the protocol, it's not, it has not been updated to include girls. They're working on that now, but that, you know, 11 years ago was not the case. Right. And so um, everyone was like, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. I had social workers saying, I just wonder. And I'm like, I just wonder too, because my background is psychology mm-hmm. as well. And I have a lot of trauma training and attachment training. And I was like, hmm, I just think, This is the only thing that makes sense. So we, in all that time, went to probably over 15 different specialists. We've seen developmental pediatricians. We've seen occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy. We've done hearing therapy. We've done um, attachment, TBRI, circle of Mm -hmm. security. We've done one-on-ones with social workers. We've also done play therapy. Mm-hmm. We've been to audiologists, we've been to psychiatrists, we've been to you name it, we've done it. Yeah. Um, because I stepped into this believing that I had to be my child's greatest advocate. 
mm-hmm. um, and that I had to fight for them until they were old enough to fight for themselves and to teach them along the way how to do that, mm-hmm. how to advocate, self-advocate for themselves. Um, on top of that, you have um, a little bit of the um, racial issues that, you know, it's like, well, you know, I, I wouldn't believe the things that people would say to me about my child because they were Chinese. Oh, well, they're smart. Oh, well, they're this. Oh, well, they're that. And I'm like, okay, okay. What does that even mean? You know, and how is that going to help my child? If she has a learning disability, you're going to look at it a different way. Right. And so I feel like some of that was playing into it as well, that we were missing the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, the meltdowns, and the sensory processing and her doing all that with a disability in a sensory area brought in a level of trauma to our family that we had never experienced. Mm -hmm. There were days that I would stay in a room almost the whole day with Mm -hmm. just meltdowns. And so during this time, I'm thinking, where is God? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I felt like he had ordered our steps. Mm-hmm. Not felt, I knew, because I don't do something that big without 100% knowing. Right. Because it was going to, it changed everybody's life, mm-hmm. you know? And I knew that I knew, and my husband knew who, you know, my husband takes six months to pick out a coffee pot. So I was really (laughs) sure, right? Really sure. And so was he, this is no joke. This is no, just fly by the night. Let's just jump into this, you know, because it sounds like something we should do or exciting or romantic. Um, we, 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 I read all the books. I studied Chinese history because I wanted to be able to teach my daughters about their history and not them just get it from someone else. We were committed we were dedicated to this walk and this journey with the girls um, to respecting their culture and things like that, but nothing. And I mean, nothing prepared us for the, I heard someone call it brutal, the brutally beautiful journey that God was taking us on. It brought us all to the very end of ourselves. Um, I felt alone. Mm -hmm. I felt abandoned by God, you know, like you led me here and then you just, you won't intervene. I'm begging. I mean, begging you to intervene on a daily basis. This is more than I can handle. I cannot take this. I'm losing my mind. It was the closest I ever came mentally to literally feeling like the emotional strain and the mental strain was so hard that I might just slip into, I didn't know that Mm -hmm. it was just this unknown. Like I would never be the same again. Mm -hmm. And I was scared and tired and exhausted (laughs) and angry. Mm -hmm. And I went in stages where I cried all the time and then stages where I couldn't cry a drop mm-hmm. where I would beg God to give me tears because I needed the emotional release. Yeah. I would watch sad movies just to give myself an outlet to cry because it felt so pent up and mm-hmm. just like a wall in my heart. I remember getting up and going to the hairdresser at like six o'clock in the morning because I wasn't able to be away from my oldest daughter for two years because it would send the attachment issues. It would just, I would pay for it in some way or another. So I would try to sneak out places and do things. And um, I was driving that morning and the, the light was just starting to lift, you know, in the sky. And I woke up ticked off and I got in the car and I remember, I don't know if like some type of Christian song was on. I don't remember, but I just remember (laughs) driving down the road and banging my fists against the wheel of the car as hard as I could and screaming to the top of my lungs. Mm -hmm. Where in the hell are you? Mm 
Mm-hmm. Where, where are you? I know you're there. I know enough. We've had this incredible relationship for 15, 20 years. I know you're there, but the fact that it feels like you're deliberately playing hide and seek white right now with me mm-hmm. turns my stomach. But the biggest thing was, is that I felt, <clears throat> I just felt hurt. Mm-hmm. I thought that level of closeness gave me something, mm-hmm. gave me a little leg up. There's just certain things he, you would only let it go so far, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I said, and I would say things because if it were me, I would never <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I would not want this. Effect. And I couldn't, all the little churchy things. If, if someone quoted out of context, he will not give you more than you could handle one more time. I was really beginning to be afraid of what I would say or do <laughs> because it is the most misquoted verse, I think, in the Bible. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> besides the one that doesn't exist about, you know, cleanliness being next to godliness. <laughs> it was just so misquoted because I said, you, sir, have most definitely given me more than I can handle. Mm-hmm. And you can look at my life right now. I was struggling. We were struggling to keep our marriage together because the amount of secondary PTSD that was going on in our home was so hard to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. And as crazy as it sounds, four or five years into this, I began to sense God asking us to adopt again. And I was really angry at the audacity of that request. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to tell my husband that he will probably leave me because he'll think, okay, she's lost it. She's Mm -hmm. just lost it. And now I think he would, he's not the kind of man who would, but you know, nothing was spinning on all cylinders at that point for me. Right. Um, There's a lot of fear. And mm-hmm. a lot of, um, you know, paranoia of what is my life going to end up looking like? How are we ever going to come out of this? Right. Um, what is it doing to my older kids? And um, so I took six months to pray about it, to think about it, to basically say, prove to me, this is you. Mm-hmm. And I, when I finally felt like he was saying it was, I went to my husband and I showed him the evidence. I <laughs> We sat on the back porch and I had my Bible and I had my journal and he sat down and he goes, okay, I'm really nervous. And I'm like, why? He's like, because you have your Bible and your journal and you need to talk to me. (laughs) And he knows those are like my two biggest things in my life. Right. And I'm like, well, what I'm about to say to you that I feel like God's saying to me is so crazy and ridiculous that I need to prove to you. I've actually been talking with him about this for six months. I want you to see the dates and where, I mean, I was like, really wanted to prove to him. So I gave him all my stuff. I said, I don't know what to do with any of this. I don't even know that even if he's asking, I want to say yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And he looked at me and he said, well, I've been thinking about this for about six months and I didn't want to say anything to you Mm -hmm. because you bear the brunt of most of this. And I thought you would think I was crazy. So I'm like, okay, let's just keep thinking about it. And he's like, oh, I thought we would go ahead and call the agency tomorrow. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, here's the thing. Our son's about to graduate from high school, our first and senior year. If anyone who has been through a senior year or has kids who have, it's a big deal. It's just something all the time. Right. And um, he's like, well, it'll probably take a while for it to go through. So we should probably get it going. So I'm doing senior year and dossier at the same time. And so when our oldest was 19, we brought home our second daughter from China. She was unable to walk. Mm-hmm. So she had already had two surgeries and we had four ahead of us within the next year. Mm-hmm. And now she walks, no one would even know. Mm-hmm. She walks, dances, rides her bike, scooters, everything, runs, plays. But that bringing her home took everything to my worst fear was that it would get worse. Mm -hmm. And so my worst fear was realized it got worse for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And that was where we reached the end of ourselves, both of us, just like in Psalm 107, it says um, that they were on the ship and it kept going up and down and up and down on the waves. Mm -hmm. And they, they, all of their wisdom came to nothing. 
Mm-hmm. And that was that season of our life. All of our wisdom in God, in the things we knew of God, in how to handle things. My husband's a leader. I'm a leader. We're very leadery people. You know, we're strong <laughs> people. We, uh-huh. you know, it takes a lot to knock our wind out of our sails. But there was no wind. <laughs> we were literally adrift and all of our wisdom had come to absolutely nothing, even though we spent most of our time in specialist offices. I was bitter and hurt and I felt ruined. I felt ruined. I felt like our life was in a ruinous state. Mm-hmm. Um in a downward spiral that we're not going to be able to pull it up out of. Um, when things started to settle down more, mm-hmm. um, meaning we weren't having daily meltdowns, we were maybe having one or two a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember explaining it to someone. I said it was like I had been in a tornado shelter mm-hmm. for several years. And when I knew the storm had the worst of the storm had probably passed, or I had hoped that the worst of the storm had probably passed. I opened up the latch and opened up, swing the door open. And when I looked around, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. It had taken everything. And I realized as I was spending time fighting for my marriage that I couldn't even remember the last time I've been to the doctor. Mm-hmm. had my teeth cleaned, went to the chiropractor, saw a therapist. I got sick of seeing therapists, even though I love mine to death because blah, blah, blah. That's kind of where I was, you know, it's like, don't give me hope. Mm-hmm. Hope, is, hope isn't real. You don't realize it. that that's, that's not enough. You know, I was, like I said, a very dark place. Um, one of the verses that meant so much to me during that time was, um, Psalm 139, 12. And it says, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. And that was a verse that I just kind of kept holding on to was, okay, I feel like I am in the darkest of darkness, but to him, it looks like light. It looks like he's looking at the day. I see it as darkness, but to him, it's all the same because he is the light. Mm -hmm. The darkness is on my side, not on his side. And that gave me a comfort to know that it did feel dark to him too. um, That it was the same to him. That that is what gave me some hope. And honestly, at that time, I mean, really the only thing I could do as a semblance of my faith was just to occasionally just say his name. Mm-hmm. The prayers, I didn't know what to pray anymore. I didn't know if I wanted to pray anymore. Um, I loved him and I knew he was there, but he just was not showing up for me in a way that I needed him to. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I would start going back to see my doctors and every doctor that I went to, four different doctors in six weeks, because I was like, if I don't get it all done now, somebody else is going to go through another season of appointments and I'm not going to get it in. So I I did them all like back to back in in six weeks. Every doctor (laughs) looked at me and was like, do you think you're depressed? Mm -hmm. And I would just laugh, which they probably knew then I was. I would just laugh. And they were like, do you think you're depressed? I'm like, "Um, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I don't have time. I can't be a lay in the bed depressed. Okay, yeah. I've had those moments. We've, you know, most of us have had those moments at times. Right. Because every day I have two very small children with special needs to get up. So I'm, it's even more exhausting. I'm a functioning depressed woman. Mm-hmm. And um, they're like, well, you know, I think this would help and that would help. And they would say, have you ever thought about yoga? Every single one of them. So the first one, I'm like, no, not really. Second one, I'm like, ah, yeah, the other doctor mentioned that, but no, I don't, I don't even know where to start with that. So by the time I got to the fourth doctor, I got in the car afterwards and I'm like, okay, God, I, 
I thought I was pretty sure that you would be like a no-no to yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also, every doctor has said the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And so here's the thing. I don't care anymore. That's where I'm at. I don't care anymore. I don't care if it's right. I don't care if it's wrong. I'm just going to throw myself into the mercy of God mm-hmm. and I'm just going to go do it. If it's wrong, he'll let me know. If he doesn't want me there, he'll let me know. Yeah. But I, I'm just going to do it. I'm just mm-hmm. so tired about, I don't, I don't have the energy to worry about if something is right and if this is this. And if, I don't have that pleasure anymore. Perfectionism went out the door four or five years ago when I realized there's no way my life is so radically imperfect. There's no way I can hold that standard up. I don't care anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I went to my first yoga class at the Y because I felt like it would be a little more moderate yoga light. Mm-hmm. And, um, I sat in there, the second class, someone had gone to a trauma sensitive training and I wept and wept and wept, but I wasn't emotionally upset. The tears were just coming out of my eyes. Mm -hmm. I was so embarrassed because I'm like, oh, they're going to think I'm the trauma girl, you know? So I grabbed my stuff right afterwards and left and went to my car and I got in the car. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, what is going on? Is this like voodoo? I mean, what is happening? Mm -hmm. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, it's been a very long road for you. And I know you don't have the energy to do all of the things that need to be done in order to heal. So if you'll just come and show up, I'm going to do this for you. Mm. I'm going to heal you myself because you're always worrying, you know, dealing with the healings of everyone else. I'm going to heal you myself. And so I just showed up and showed up. Then I wondered I began to think, well, if I wanted to pray, which I don't always want to pray anymore, God, but if I wanted to, this would be a great place to do it. Mm-hmm. It was the only place of sanity in my life. That little six by two, four, you know, five by two mat was my holy ground. Mm-hmm. It was the first place I felt like I had connected with God the way that I used to connect with God in mm-hmm. years. <clears throat> and so I looked it up. Long story short, found Caroline Williams. She was doing yoga on YouTube and she would incorporate scripture. And that was where I began to really feel God's presence for the first time in a long time. Mm -hmm. And that led me to become an instructor myself, led me to go into um, the trauma piece of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, as I mixed and mingled with other Christians who practice yoga, I learned about spiritual direction, Mm -hmm. which I've never heard of before because I didn't grow up in a liturgical church. Um, and started to see a spiritual director myself Mm -hmm. and realized that, um, therapy is therapy has saved my life many times. I'm I'm just going to tell you, I I don't know where I'd be Mm -hmm. if I hadn't had the therapist that God's given me over the years from dealing with, um, childhood sexual abuse, um, you know, date rape, all kinds of things. I don't know where I would be without that part of the body ministering to me. Um, but spiritual direction was different. Mm -hmm. It was 100% about the impact of what I was experiencing on my soul Mm. and on my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Those are the places that I began to ask. They're really hard questions. The why, where were you? Mm-hmm. All of those things and have someone to bring me back to scripture or just to listen or to pray over me. It was just different. And I knew that I'd done some form of that in ministry, of course, but there was something different and I wanted to learn what the different was. So I went through um, spiritual director training and I love it. I love it so much. It's probably one of the most favorite things that I do. I love being in a space that most people don't want to be. I love being on the front lines mm-hmm. with people. I feel like I've lived most of my life on the front lines because of my own trauma mm-hmm. and then this decade of trauma. But I know as a person who's experienced it, it's really hard to find people who want to go there with you. It is. 
-hmm. and it, they can do only so much. And then I call it the glassy eye look, or they just kind of have this, like, I don't know what else to say. And not that you need them to say anything, but they, I think people are very uncomfortable knowing that seasons of life like this exist. Mm -hmm. And when they are around it, they go, when is it going to be my turn? What would I do if this happened to me? What would I do if my life spun out of control like that? And so it becomes very uncomfortable. And they don't mean to abandon you in it. Right. But it's very hard. It's also hard for them to see you hurt so deeply. It's hard for some Christians to hear Christians ask really hard Job-like questions of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't add pressure to myself to go through this experience in a cute little Christian way. Um, that would have been the end of me. I would have completely lost myself. I had to just, I was at my wit's end. Like I said, I had to just let it be what it was and just feel what I felt and mm -hmm. just stop caring so much about what it looked like to deal with it mm -hmm. in some right way. And then, you know, the anger helps with that. Cause I'm like, who are you to tell me how I'm supposed to experience this right. and deal with this and feel about this? Do you want to trade places? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just all this, like I said, the, sometimes the anger and the, the bitterness has a purpose, you know, because you're able to say no to that type of Christian toxicity that, you know, um, is there for the taking if you want it. Um, one of the other verses that I feel like that time period embodied was, um, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 20. It's really wordy, but it's, it's really good. Cause I know there's probably some of your listeners who can identify with this. And especially people in the last three years, it's as though the fig tree does not blossom and there is no fruit on the vines. Though the product of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the victorious God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and to make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, of suffering or responsibility. Mm. And that was a verse that I went back to over and over. I would say, I don't necessarily feel this in the moment but I want to feel this way about what I'm going through, God. I want to feel this way. I want to feel like when there seems, there is literally no hope in sight. Nothing is harvesting. Nothing is yielding any fruit at all. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to say that I'm not going to leave you, that I'm going to continue to trust you, that I'm going to believe that, that I already know of you to be true, mm -hmm. which is why a relationship with him and studying the word is so important because I call it squirreling away nuts for the winter of your soul. You can go back in and feed on that. Cause that may be all you can feed on or have the energy to feed on. And a lot of these verses are verses that I knew from other times in my life, but they came back. Um, and I would hold on to them for dear life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what God has done, even in my daughter's life, we got a diagnosis of autism from a psychiatrist who spent two years evaluating her, a female psychiatrist who specializes in women who have been misdiagnosed with autism. Did I know that about her when God sent us to her? No, I did not. But I knew that she saw something that I saw and I mm -hmm. knew that she wanted to help my daughter heal. And when we got that diagnosis, you know, she was like, how are you? I'm like, this is probably the best day in 10 years mm -hmm. because now we know what we're fighting. Mm -hmm. Now we know wh what direction to head in. I mean, punching at 
something that's attacking you in the dark is really scary. Yeah. And what it was doing to my child's self-esteem about how she felt about herself and the problems that her condition caused in the family. When she received that diagnosis, I was driving down the road and I was, we had big conversations with the psychiatrist and she said, mom, so all those, these years when I've had these outbursts and I've done this and that, um, was it the autism? And I said, yes, honey. Yeah. Most of it. Yes, it was. And I was driving, she was sitting behind me and I saw her in my rear view mirror and she looked out the window and she took a deep breath and she exhaled and she smiled and it broke me because I knew that it was tearing her up as well. And from that point on the regimens that we've been on, the services we've been able to receive and everything has created one of the most amazing kids I have ever known. She is a fantastic student. She is social. She has run for SGA and won it. She has auditioned for parts of the Christmas play and won them to sing. And she decided to do voice lessons and recitals. And it's just been unbelievable to see what God has done in her life. And then in her relationship with her sister, which she couldn't have one with her for so long they are friends and they do things together and she has this lightness about her and the a laugh that will just just warm your heart she has one of these deep throw your head back belly laughs and <laughs> keen sense of humor and there's been so 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 much healing mm-hmm. in our lives this is not i never saw this coming mm-hmm. I never saw this coming. I never saw this ending for her story. Mm-hmm. And as it continues to unfold and um, the beauty and the healing he's done in our relationships, it's very hard to be close to a child who <clears throat> is against you every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but God's healed our relationship and um, he's just done something so incredibly beautiful and she knows it too Mm -hmm. she knows it too so that is probably the biggest testimony of my life Mm -hmm. was that decade of the valley of the shadow of death Mm -hmm. um and i can't remember where it's at there's also another scripture that says when you walk through the valley of blessings he will make it into a spring. And it was basically this valley of suffering, this valley of, but he called it the valley of blessings. And so I thought about that a lot too. And he's done that, you know, he has taken us through a really dark valley Mm -hmm. and done something beautiful and blessing and creative with it. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for the chance. Absolutely. How are you today? Today, I am more hopeful than ever. Mm -hmm. I just finished a year with my spiritual director going through the spiritual exercises and I'm at another turning point being 50, looking ahead and going, okay, enough of the silliness and the things that don't really matter. What lights my heart up now mm-hmm. after going through all of these things? What spaces do I want to hold with people? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm most at home with the suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm in a lot of conversations with the Lord right now and listening about what that looks like for Mm me um, in the next couple of years. Um, But to be the person I needed most in that season of my life um, will always be the most important thing to me. Mm -hmm. 
is to be that for someone else, to be that person who sits and doesn't flinch when you say the hardest, most horrible thing you could think about God that curses their entire way through a spiritual direction session because they're so angry, Mm -hmm. um, who loses every filter they could ever have um, and never has to say, I'm so sorry. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sorry I said that. I'm, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't say that, but knows that it's safe, a safe mm-hmm. place to do so. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful thing to have that. So for God to take you and make you the person that you most needed mm-hmm. is just a beautiful, a beautiful 365 story, a beautiful circle yeah. of it. Yeah. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. So do you take new clients? Do you do all that kind of stuff now with that um, director? I do. And how can people get a hold of you if they want to connect with you with that? The best way is to go to my link tree. Mm -hmm. It has everything. It has, you know, to reach out to me personally, to reach out to um, on my calendar link, to make appointments. Um, most of that is for most people going to be online. I do have, um, an office in the Orlando, the central Florida area, mm-hmm. if they happen to be in this area to meet in person. Um, but most of my clients are outside of Florida, um, and have been online for years because I got my certification in the middle of the pandemic. I finished it. So when I got started, that was my only option. I had this wonderful home office. I got all set up and it's never been able to be used. So um, it's always been online. And and now I have an office at this really awesome organization in our area called the Nurture Place that helps foster and adoptive families with aftercare Mm -hmm. and education. And um, so it's it's amazing. So I'm using space there um, to meet with people one-on-one. But yeah, I mean, in person, um, face-to-face. But yeah, that's the best way. And I also have information about, um, I wrote a course, a teachable course on um, embodied faith and what that looks like and what that means. That's on there. Um, And other like podcasts, like when you're done with this, I'll put that also on the link tree where someone can click it and and listen instead of having to go search everywhere all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, thank you so much again for coming on today. I know your story is going to help because people just, whether it's an adoption journey or whether it's just a daily journey, people yeah. need to know that there's hope and that it's okay to be in the lowest place and scream and yell and cuss at God. It's okay. He yes. can handle it. Like, yes. yes. He, can, he can take it. He's not going to leave you when you do that. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Very much so. And um, I really appreciate having a space to, to share it with you. Thanks, Gina. Absolutely. Do you have any last minute encouragement for everybody? I would say it will always in those moments feel like you are 100% completely alone. Expect to feel lonely and like no one sees and no one cares. That's part of the depression. That's part of the trauma. Um, But it is not true. Mm -hmm. It is not true. God will always place people around you who care enough to walk alongside you. Um, I think part of the healing is learning to move out in that space and ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. And take help when it's given. Not I'm okay or no, I don't want to be a burden. Because my thing is, I always don't want to be a burden to anyone. I don't want to be a burden. Right. Um, but I also want to live and have a beautiful life. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes um, I have to go uh, deliberately against what I'm feeling in order for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And when people do offer help, they, most of the time they mean it. Yeah, they really do. So. And that's something I'm glad you said that. Cause I would like to say one other thing. Sure. When you are around someone who is in a really dark, deep place from whatever type of, it's all grief, no matter what it is, it's grief, right? If it was the adoption stuff, what I was going through, I was grieving the loss of the dream. 
I was grieving the loss of how I thought things were going to play out. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was grieving the loss of the life I thought I was going to have and that my child was going to have, quite frankly, yeah. the loss of that or it, whatever it is really at the bottom of it all, it's grief. Right. And so instead of telling someone, call me if you need something or, hey, um, let me know if you need me to bring dinner by or let me know if you need anything. The most caring thing you can do is to say, I'd like to come by on Tuesday with dinner. It's five or six best. Um, Hey, I would really love to come by on Wednesday for like an hour. And just if you need me to be with the kids while you take a nap or you need me to fold some clothes or whatever, I can do that. Um, It's reaching out and texting or calling whatever you feel like they're open to an email, send a card. Hey, I am thinking about you. How are you doing today? Mm -hmm. Is to not talk about doing it, but to actually act on it when you offer it. Mm -hmm. Because that's another thing that embitters a person that's in that place is everybody keeps saying they want you, the person who's in the deepest pit, to be the one to reach out to them and ask them to help you. They cannot do that. They cannot do that in that place. They need you to be the body. They need you to do it, to to see the need. I'm going to bring you dinner. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you go out and pick up a pizza. I trust me, they do not care. Right. But it's doing it. It, That makes people feel seen because to have to sit in that despair and then ask people to come do things for you like that, nobody's going to do that. Right. But if you're offering, give a time, a date, will this work? Go ahead and line it up right then or reach out right then and call and ask how they're doing. Don't say, if you need something, call me. Right. Because they won't. They won't. No. This was such a great conversation. And I know people will definitely be touched, reached. And those verses you gave were so good too. So thank Mm -hmm. you again so much, Amy. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. You are so welcome. And you guys, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I pray that each of you will take something from this episode, that you will be challenged, that you will be encouraged in your walk with God. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and review so that other people can find this and other people can listen to the stories of God's redemption. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.